This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Stony Brewing. Pure, honest beer. Today, we are honored and excited to have two-time Super Bowl champion guard of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kendall Simmons with us today. Kendall, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just taking a little break to join the, the Steeler Nation here. I'm at Auburn University doing a little spring install, getting ready for football season coming up. Excellent. Well, Steeler Nation is happy to have you. And, and currently, where are you working? Let, let Steeler Nation know what you're doing right now. Uh, currently, I'm uh, offensive analyst with um, Auburn Tigers, Auburn oh, football team, my alma mater I went to school at. So, just trying to get into the coaching side of and seeing if it's what I want to do for a while. Nice. Is this your first year then coaching with Auburn? Yes. Well, it's going in. Well, going into my second year actually. I started last year uh-huh. on second week of January, and um, this is my going into my first second season. Nice. And how do you like it so far? You know, I, I like it. Um, it's definitely different. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, as an analyst, you, you sit back and you help recruit and you watch a lot of film. And um, as the only difference is I don't get to do as much hands-on coaching as I would like. Yeah. But I look at it as an opportunity to get my foot in the door. So it's just something that um, you kind of have to take the good with the bad. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, at least you're taking mostly the good since you're back at your alma mater. That's got to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it is. It is. Great. So let's talk a little bit about and back up a little bit uh, in your life because um, a lot of Steeler fans know about you, don't know all about you, and I find you to be mm-hmm. an interesting guy. So when I was doing some research, I found that you grew up in uh, in Mississippi. And what was it like growing up then in Mississippi back in the, I guess, the 80s at the time? Yeah, you know, um, the one thing that has changed so much is I just remember being a kid, and we we got to run around all over the place, up and down the road. Yeah. Um, you always hear people say, "Mom would say you'd be home for the street light come on." Yep. <laughs> that was one of those things that you know we lived by that. And you, as soon as you start seeing the sun start to go down, yeah. everybody found that one street light. You better pay attention to it, so you you better be home before that street light come on. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it was cool, man. It, it really was. Um, but things have changed now. Yeah. You you can't freely let your kids run up and down the road like you used to. And then being a parent, yeah, um, that's been something I've had to learn how to adjust to because um, we knew everybody. Yeah. My parents knew everybody, and mm. you could you could whoop somebody else's child. Yeah, because <laughs> your parents knew you, and and you kind of raised your kids the same way. Yep. Um, and you can't can't do that nowadays, and you don't necessarily trust your child to be over everybody's house because you don't know exactly how they raise their, their kids. Yeah. It's so different. it's it's definitely different. It definitely has, and you're right. It did take a village back then. I grew up during the same era. Uh, tell you the truth, I'm just a few years older than yourself, but um, yeah. yeah, I definitely you know empathize with you completely on that. Um, 
when you went to high school, obviously you didn't just play football, you played other sports. Uh, tell Steeler Nation yes, what other sports you were playing at the time and what positions. You know, honestly, my favorite sport is baseball. Mm. Absolutely, love, absolutely love baseball. I, I, I grew up playing baseball. My dad um, played baseball, and back when he was coming up, uh-huh. I was still during the during the segregation times, and his school didn't have football wow. at all. Yeah. And my dad played baseball mm. and basketball, mm. so he, you know, he put a lot into that mm. with me and my brother, yeah. and um, I absolutely loved it. The one thing I guess, you know, God knows exactly which direction he wants you to go in, and I continue to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and football became the way to for me to get get into school and, and pay for school. Nice. But still to this day, I absolutely love baseball. First base, catcher, mm. and uh, right field. And um, basketball, I played basketball up until my senior year. Uh-huh. And uh, through the shot put and track. I actually, and I, I'm not afraid to admit this. I tell people all the time. I was actually in the in the marching and the symphonic band. Nice. Played a tuba. <laughs> nice yeah. tuba player. That's excellent. Yeah. 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 So you actually was. And that's great because I'm a musician as well. So it's great to be well rounded in both sports and music. I think it kind of helps you all out in life, and and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Both ways, and that's, and that's another thing I found too. Interviewing a lot of athletes, I find that in high school they're they're very. Um, athletic and just more than one sport, not not just in in football. Obviously, like you're saying, you you were athletic. You loved baseball, you loved basketball. You also did did some track and did some shot put, and that's that's amazing to me because I think that translates well to professionalism. Uh, once you finally start True. getting to the point to uh, focus on one sport. Now, when you were playing football in high school, I I also. Uh, read up that you were a, a defensive uh, lineman as well and had a lot of success playing there. Yeah, I was. I started out as a D lineman and um, actually ended up playing uh, both ways my last three years in, in high school. Wow. And we were, I, was at, I was at a small school, a 3A high school, mm-hmm. and um, even to this day with the middle school and high school combined, we barely we got 600 kids Wow. total. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I, you know, all the athletes for the most part had to do everything in school. Mm. You had to play every sport. You were involved in everything. Yeah. And that's the only thing like you were just talking about that I like and I don't like about raising my kids now. Um, they're more one sport type you know, athletes yeah. and they're not really into everything. And now with the travel ball, mm. they're so wrapped up in that and it takes so much time away from them being able to do other things so i kind of wish my kids went to a smaller school so they had to participate in other things yeah that's a great point that's a great point um did you enjoy playing defense i did i did um that was one thing my favorite player was reggie white oh nice. absolutely loved loved reggie white and um and it got to a point where everybody you know i was needed on the other side of the ball yeah, and I played offense where I played defense. I was, I wanted to hit anything that was moving. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's so that's one thing. Our offense, we ran the ball 99 percent of the time. So we ran a lot of trap uh-huh. and counter plays and screens. And so I love getting out and, and running and going my body itself. So I felt like any defensive lineman that is converged on offensive lineman, you normally end up being pretty good at it because you still have that aggressive nature. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Um, So then what ultimately was your decision then just to focus on the offensive side of the ball? What did it for me is when I started getting recruited. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I was everybody told me if I was going to defense and stuck with that, I was going to get redshirted. Okay. Um, and I just wanted to play. Yeah. Didn't I didn't want to sit on the bench. I didn't. Uh, and so anyway, I could get on the field early. Mm-hmm. And um, my old line coach here, Coach Rick, Rick Trickett, yeah. was getting recruited by Terry Brown and um, Eve mm-hmm. Jenkins. Oh wow. Um, and so I remember Coach Jenkins mm-hmm. and Coach Trickett mm-hmm. kind of fighting over me. And Coach Trickett said, "Look, if you stay on the defensive side, mm-hmm. you're going to get redshirted. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you eventually. I'm just telling you that now. Yeah. But if you want to come and play with me, mm-hmm. you got a chance to play in the NFL early, and you got a chance to start as a freshman. Yeah. I mean, and I said, any way or another I can play, I'm down for it. I think I was going to be for a couple of days. Yeah. And then came up to the offensive side and started just about every game except for one mm-hmm. my freshman year. Oh, wow. That's great. That's great. So ultimately, Steeler fans, uh, you were you're recruited by Auburn Tigers. You're saying your alma mater, who you're working for currently. Um, what was your decision then, ultimately, to to go to Auburn? I, I mean, obviously, it's fairly close to Mississippi. Um, so, what were your decisions then on 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 going to that school? Um, it's more interest than anybody else. Um, Coach Trickett used to coach it. Uh, he was the line coach in Mississippi State, so he had the Mississippi area, yeah. and he stayed. At my house, it seemed like I saw him every two weeks for some reason. Wow. Like he popped up all the all the time. Yeah, he was a ex, he's an ex Green Beret. My oh. dad was in Vietnam, oh. um, so they spoke the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, one thing I loved about Coach Trigger, he probably cussed every two or three words. <laughs> and but and, yeah, he did. And, and the thing about it is, he he was the same thing. With my parents, he didn't change anything, mm. and he stayed the same all the way. And I still talk to him today, and he's still the same. Um, and I can't say that about everybody else. Yeah. Um, and they just showed the same. They showed the most interest, and then like, and I had visited. I felt like I was at home. Mm. My one of my best friends in the world right now ended up being my roommate mm. um, while I was here. So it, it, it was just a fit for me. And honestly, in the beginning, I didn't have a clue where Auburn was. Didn't know it was in Alabama. I couldn't point to on the map if you asked me to. Wow. At all. <laughs> That's great. Um, and thanks for sharing that story, too, because um, a, a lot of people don't understand, too, when you're saying he swears every other two words. He's not swearing at you. It's just the way he talks. He's just adding talks, in, yeah. Yeah, ex- expletives as he's talking. And, and I know a lot of people like that as well. They're not angry people. They're not mad at you. It's just the way that they, they communicate. And it... And uh, one mm-hmm. one interesting thing that I read up on that's a, a little aside is uh, that people, from a psychology uh, standpoint, people that tend to swear a lot while they're talking just in normal conversation tend to be the most honest people you'll meet. Um, so really? That, yeah. So I thought that was fun. I find that really interesting because it seems like their huh? emotions are always right there on the outside. At least they're always uh, at least talking about exactly the way they feel. So they, they just generally speak their mind. So that's a, a good point. Hmm. That's, that's that's a good one. I got to remember that one. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> cool. So then, uh, tell Steeler Nation now about your Auburn experience. Obviously, you were there for four years, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my Auburn experience, um, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. I really did. Um, I, I, I always tell young guys this story. Mm-hmm. Um, try to make it quick. My freshman year, I came in with, uh, and, and had a chance to start just about every game. I had eighteen hours. Mm-hmm full load, mm. never been away from home by myself like that. Yeah. And it was overwhelming to me. Mm. I was, I had just, you know, joined the art department. I didn't really understand what it took to study. At that time, we were having three-a-days. Yeah. 
Well, we didn't have, you know, one of those days, we have three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coach Trigget was the same. Mm-hmm. But he, put, he took it up a notch or two, yeah. you know, and I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. At the end of my freshman quarter, mm-hmm. I ended up having a 1-6 oh, wow. GPA. And and my mom and I was on academic probation. Mm-hmm. My mom found out about it. Said, "Listen, yeah. you didn't go to school just to play football, mm-hmm. and you're not and you're not coming back here. Mm-hmm. So you need to get yourself together and do what you need to do." Now I'm making it the nice way. Yes, <laughs> and it wasn't exactly <laughs> the way my mom came, came. You know what about it? You have a good mom. You know, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, yeah. and I mean, and I'm, and I'm sharing this to be completely honest with you. Uh-huh. My mom told me, she said, listen, a lot of people here back home are expecting you to fail. Mm-hmm. They're expecting you to fail and come back here. Mm-hmm. Don't come back here. Mm-hmm. So that was extra motivation for me. Wow. That, and you know, that, that was extra motivation for me. Yeah, it really was. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I wasn't the same. They never had to worry about me going to class, doing what I needed to do. I think I graduated with like a three, 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 four. Awesome. And um, and actually graduated um a couple semesters early. Mm. So I played my whole senior year without any classes. Wow. You know, and yeah. other other than my senior project in in, in art. Yeah. So um, that was motivation for me, and that's something I tell young guys all the time. You got to look at where you come from. Mm. And look at all the guys that come before you, or ladies, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, did they get up? Did they quit? Mm. Um, because it got too hard. Mm. You know, people are expecting you to come back here and they just name you to the list like the other people who could have done better. Yeah. And that's the way I looked at it. And I try to motivate kids by doing that, by telling them that. Mm. And Kendall, that's an excellent story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And um, then what ultimately did you end up? graduating with what degree did you get um in graphic arts graphic arts awesome you are such a yeah. well-rounded guy you play music you play, <laughs> you're artistic you know sports and uh, it's, it's this is really really interesting to talk to you about these things so thanks for sharing all that i really appreciate yeah, it yeah yeah cool so um ultimately uh you're getting ready to be drafted it was um uh, your senior season and and you end up going first round of the Steelers uh did you also participate in any of the uh combines or or pro days yes I did I did I did I did everything at the at the combine Mm -hmm. um it's funny because um Hall of Fame Ed Reed was my roommate Wow. <laughs> at the combine, I think I, I, I saw I saw Ed Reed for about fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, and he was gone. He he didn't do anything at the combine. <laughs> he came in um, and left. Oh wow! And um and and that was cool. Yeah. Um, just being around that many guys, mm. uh, and and watching them move around, and, and I was in awe of them. I mean, because I read about them. Yeah. You know, I didn't look at myself in nowhere near the category of some of, some of the guys who were there who, who were just doing interviews or participating. Yeah. I was just fortunate. I was blessed, happy that I got to be invited to it. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm doing whatever they ask me to do. I don't care. Yeah. You know, and um, after that, it was a great experience. And then I participated in my pro day, mm-hmm. um, did, every, did, did everything at that. Um, I remember I told uh, Mike Munchak when he was at Pittsburgh, yes. I said, you, you remember working me out my pro day, right? He's like, yeah, because <laughs> I, I thought I might have had a chance to either go there yeah. or Baltimore or the 49ers or something. Wow. And and 
obviously you showed a lot of coaches um, what you could do in your pro day and in the combine because you ended up going in the first round there with your with Ed Reed. I mean, obviously he went to the to the Ravens and you ended up going to the Steelers. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about draft day and what that was like to you and getting picked in the first round by the Steelers. Draft day, um, I'm pretty, it was, it was, I don't think I slept the night before. We had planned a <laughs> get together uh -huh. at, um, at my in law's place, and all my family was coming up, and we had more people show up than I really expected. Probably three quarters of the football team was there. Wow. Um, but the recruiting, at the time, we had a group here to help with the uh, athletic group called uh, Tiger Hosts and Tigerettes. Yeah. My wife was part of that group. Mm -hmm. I would say about three quarters of them showed up. So we probably had about two, about 300 people there Yeah. at, at my in-law's house. And they got about 10 acres with like a bass and catfish and brim pond and all that kind of stuff. So we had like, like it was a big, like big old get together, like a big party. Nice. And honestly, I was not expecting to get picked in the first round. I was mm -hmm. thinking middle to late second. Yeah. That's what I was being told. Yeah. Um, and so... I always tell people, I tell this story too, it's just funny. Mm -hmm. um, me and my wife were staying together, and we were staying in the trailer above her parents' house. Yeah. And in that trailer, you got bad cell phone reception. Uh -huh. And so it was a certain spot. If you walked out the door, uh -huh. your phone would drop the call. So uh -huh. you had to stand like, right, in the, right in the door, and if you moved out of it, you would lose the call. <laughs> if you moved too far in, you would lose the call. Yeah. It was bad now. <laughs> and so I kept having people... Yeah, I kept having people call my phone asking, you know, where the house was. And I'm like, look, I got to keep my phone open. Call my <laughs> wife or call somebody else. Quit calling me. Yeah. And so the phone rung. Mm. And I, and at that time, Mark Colombo was being picked yeah. by the Chicago Bears. Uh -huh. And um, it was 29th pick. Mm -hmm. And the phone rung. Mm -hmm. And it was Kevin Colbert. Wow. And I was like, whoa, are you serious <laughs> right now? And um, he started talking to me. And I was like, man, you know, this, this is cool or whatever. And he's like, hey, Coach Cowell want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And and Coach Cowell asked me where Pittsburgh was. And I said, look, I don't have a clue where Pittsburgh is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if y'all pick me, I will leave tonight. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll leave right now. Oh. And so uh. we got to talking, man. Uh. And, I, and I made the bad mistake and I moved and I stepped out the door and my phone dropped the call. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes. Oh no. Let me tell you something. When you talk about somebody wanted to cry, oh. I cause because I didn't I didn't see because at that time I didn't see the number yeah. and I'm like they're not gonna call me back. They thought I hung up on. I was freaking out oh. and all of a sudden Coach Kyle calls back again and I was uh. trying to apologize. He had to tell me, hey, stop. It's okay. Yeah. And he was just laughing up a storm at me. <laughs> and at that time, everybody saw me stick my fist up in the air. Yeah. And they looked across the bottom of the screen, and there go my name, and the place just erupted. Wow. And it, I, I mean, you're talking about one of those things where you just don't expect it. Uh -huh. I mean, that was, to me, it was, it was one of the best days of my life because I did not expect it. Mm. I don't even remember talking to Pittsburgh at the Combine <laughs> or anything. So it was, I mean, I came to a place that fit my personality as a player and everything else. So it, it was definitely perfect. Wow. What a great story for Steeler Nation, man. Thanks for sharing that. That's something I'd never heard. That's, that's, and it's really interesting to hear at the draft process and all these processes because everybody has a different experience. So that was really an interesting share. Um, so as a rookie in 2002, uh, what was training camp like for you? 
Training camp was rough. Um, it, it really was. I remember it being – it was the hottest training camp of all my years of playing football. Oh, wow. It really was. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we were still in we, – the, the, they were still in black. Yeah. And the defense got to wear white. Now, and now I remember in, Jerome – Yeah, yeah. One, one quick second. Now, you're, you're in Pennsylvania now for training camp, not talking about Mississippi or Alabama. And you're saying this is the hottest training camp you've ever been in. Yeah, we had one of the, I mean, honestly, I've had some down at, during college that were brutal. Yeah. But it was something about that 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 year. Yeah. Having those black jerseys on, oh. the black helmet and the black shorts. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Jerome and everybody was complaining, and oh. Coach Kyle was not bending. Mm. And um, I mean, I remember I, probably half the camp it was over 100 degrees. Wow. And and I remember coming out of the dorm, and and I remember Coach Grimm telling us this. Russ said, "Look." If you walk out the dorm in the morning and you can't see those mountains mm. back there behind the dorm, yeah. it's going to be a long day. And that's how I gazed every day. I walk out the door and look at those mountains. Yeah. And you automatically start, you know, pouting because if you can't see the mountains, that means the rest of the day is going to be awful. Wow. And every day was like that. I mean, it was bad, man. Mm. But I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I got there, Alan Seneca, uh, Marvell. Uh, uh, Oliver Ross, mm. Jeff Hardings, yeah. oh, I mean, Wayne Gandy, mm. uh, Chucky, uh, Kedrick Benson, Matthias, all those guys were good guys, man. And they, and they, and they did a good job of, of helping take care of the young guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helped us along. It really did. And it, and I loved it because the whole practice, the camp was just physical. Yeah. Training camps are nothing like they were back then. I know the older guys will say we didn't have it as bad as them. Yeah. But it, it, it was fun. And the, the facilities, it, it, we were kind of cramped in this little back room. The showers didn't work half the time. <laughs> and, and they got it good at St. Vincent now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they got all revamped and all new uh, gymnasium, all new showers. All yeah. New rooms. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. They got it good now. Yeah. But they, I loved it, though. I really did. It was, it was, it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I embraced it. I really did. And um, having to play all the preseason games, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how long the season was going to be. Yeah. I really didn't. Yeah. And, it, and it was a long one, boy. Yeah, because I know in college you're used to 10 to 12 games or 12 games and then some bo- a bowl game. But, in, yeah, you're right in the pros. You're playing 16, and then you're moving to you know, up to three or four more games after that. So it, it is quite yeah. a marathon for new players coming into the league. Um, especially, you know, being a, being a lineman, you're, you're a bigger guy. It's, 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 it's obviously yeah. you got a lot more energy that you got to exert to get you around the field. So I, I completely understand. So how was it your rookie year then going through and, and, and feeling that the wear of the season and, and were you able to do anything to help, um, you know, keeping you going then as the season went on? Um, it really, I, I hit the wall week eight. Okay. We gave, I mean, I kept, all the guys kept telling me about it, saying, you're going to hit that, you're going to hit that rookie wall. And I'm like, well, whatever, man, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I mean, and I played all four preseason games. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up starting after the first game. Yes. I had to the very first end of starting after that. Mm-hmm. And when I say I was hurting about week five, week six, yeah. I was hurting. Wow. And, and, and they could, and Coach Grimm could see it. Russ saw it coming. He's like, come on now. You know, he kept you know, telling me little stuff to do, and then Alan and were trying to help me out, and I mentally and physically hit the wall week eight, wow. and I didn't think I was gonna make it. Wow. I honestly didn't. Yeah. And still having eight more games after that, and then we went what three three games into the playoffs, yep. three games into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a game. 
Uh. Um, so it was different. It really was with having the group of guys that really helped. Um, it taught me um, selflessness. Uh, some of those guys, I just really saw how they it wasn't about them; it was about the team, mm-hmm. and they were trying to share, share the knowledge yeah. uh, of what it takes. Um, Alan Fanicat went through it. Jeff Harden went through it. Wayne and all those guys went through it as rookies and stuff. Yeah. Now the first round, they expect you to play. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they're not expecting you to sit on the bench. You got to contribute. So it, it definitely helped. Gotcha. Um, now in 2003, uh, you ended up being diagnosed with uh, type one diabetes. I know this is a, mm-hmm. a topic that's a lot of Steeler fans um, either have some some uh, experience with diabetes or at least experience with family members having diabetes. So what was it like when you were first diagnosed and, and was this going on for a long time that you were undiagnosed and, and just didn't know and you'd just been playing your entire career up to that point with it? No, honestly, um, the only issue I had in college, like if- Every other athlete played football or other sport. You know, you have your bumps and bruises and, and, and other little injuries. But as a big guy, um, I have a history of high blood pressure in my family. Yeah. And that was the only thing that, you know, showed up. Mm-hmm. And when I was, you know, during my physicals in college, and I never had any other issues other than that. So after my rookie year, uh, about during midway through the off season, I'm training and, and starting to get ready for two a day. So I'm working out twice a day, trying to get my body acclimated for it and, and be better prepared mm-hmm. than I was my first year. And all of a sudden, I just started going to the bathroom a lot. Yeah. And I, I figured, okay, I'm drinking a lot of fluids. Mm-hmm. All of it's going through me. And then next thing you know, I'm I'm really fatigued and I don't understand why. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. And I started losing weight. Mm. I lost 20 pounds in one day. Wow. wow. I lost 20 pounds in one day. I got probably about eight eight or 10 pounds of that back, just remembering from college, drinking a lot of Gatorade and trying to get my fluids back in me. Yeah. But I was tired, and I was still going to the bathroom and drinking a lot. Yeah. And the next day, I lost 13 more pounds. Wow. And so, and then I took a couple of days off because I was just, I was hurting bad. Mm-hmm. And my wife was like, what's going on? She was like, I don't know. Yeah. And I pushed myself a little bit more mm-hmm. to, to get through it. And then all of a sudden, it's time to go to training camp. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go up a few days early yeah. um, and just try to get, get myself there. Maybe I'll stop in and see Norway yeah. and talk to him. Yeah, and Norway, the, the, the doctor, there, correct? Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, he's the head, still the head trainer right yeah. now. And um, I remember get, getting there, mm-hmm. and I was telling him what was going on. And, and he's like, look, you look awful. I said, yeah, I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I told him, when I go to the house, I'll just rest. I got a few days and I'll just sleep and I won't do anything and I'll be fine. He said, well, won't you go see Dr. Yates? Yeah. So I went to see Dr. Yates and I mean, I, I was pretty much out of it on his table. He came in and I told him what was going on. He took, he, he must have knew right off the bat. I took, he took a quick blood sample. And mm-hmm. the first thing he said was, we need to get you to the emergency room right now. Wow. And I still, I had not unpacked my car yet. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? He said, I think you have diabetes. And I'm like, okay, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't know what it was uh-huh. at all. And, and, and being from the South, we call it sugar. Yeah. And, and, and so my grandmother had type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not, and I knew that as a kid. I, well, I didn't know it, but I remember people saying she had sugar, and I watched her take shots yeah. and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't understand what it, well, it really was. Mm-hmm. And so I remember getting into the, um, getting, going to the doctor, and after that, I don't remember anything, mm. even to this day. 
The only I know I I completely lost my vision. Mm. I I went I I was temporarily completely I was temporarily blinded. Like I couldn't see anything at all. And how long did that last? It lasted about a good week. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I and my wife jumped in the car when they called her and drove 12, 13 hours by herself that night and showed up the next day. Mm. And when I tell you, she was maybe an inch from my face and I couldn't see her at all. Oh, my gosh. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and that, and that, was, that was a struggle for me. Yeah. And um, I think I remember my brother, they were saying it was close to about, about 1,100. Wow. And the doctors told me, he said, you know, if you were a wide receiver or a DB, you probably would have went into a diabetic coma. Oh, wow. Because my body would have been smaller, but being a bigger guy and yeah. being in good enough shape I could count at the time and being young, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was scary. Mm-hmm. It really was. Um, I didn't know what was going on. And at the time, I honestly did think ball was over with. Yeah. Um, but I told, I told myself and prayed about it. And then my wife talked about it. And I was like, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me whatever I need to do. I'll go see what I need to see and don't get through this because I, I didn't come up here to be up here for a year and now there's no it's not gonna happen like this. Yes. Hmm. So now you're diagnosed with type two, type one diabetes and so moving forward from that moment, you're now you start becoming a professional athlete with diabetes. And yes. what was it like then managing your diabetes while you are training and while you're playing the game of football, especially at the highest level that you can possibly play it? It was it was rough. And, and, I, and I'm going to throw this one little tidbit right here. And then those who listen to your podcast and understand about diabetes, mm-hmm. they should know what, I talk, what I'm saying when I, when I, when I say this. Yeah. I, was, I looked like a type 2 diabetic because of my size. And that was the, the, the thing about back then. If you were a big person, most people automatically, you said you had diabetes, people automatically thought you had type 2 because of you being over, supposedly overweight or obese or whatever you want to call it. Exactly. But I, I was diagnosed with what they call LADA. Mm-hmm. It's called latent autoimmune diabetes of the adult or yes. type 1 and a half. Okay. So I was right in between type 1 and type 2. Uh-huh. My pancreas made insulin, but I was insulin resistant. Oh, my wow. body, my body was, yeah, my body was, wasn't using it at all. So I had to take shots Wow. to be able to survive. So managing my blood sugars, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Rao was my um, endocrinologist at the time. And he mm-hmm. told me, he said, look, for you to be able to perform at this level, the way you want to, you got to listen to me and you, you got to do everything you can to try to keep your blood sugars below 180. Okay. If you don't, it's like a car, red, car engine redlining. Yeah. It's eventually your engine's gonna give out and you can't you're gonna start losing everything that you all the work you put in. Wow. And so kind of fast forward, mm-hmm. I averaged eight to ten shots a game. Wow. So when y'all okay. when people were watching us on the sideline, yeah. I was either taking my blood sugar or giving myself a shot straight through my jersey. My goodness. So during Stiller games, mm-hmm. I was taking eight to ten shots of insulin on the sideline just to try to regulate my blood sugar. Mm. And how how did you and, um, me, how did how were you able to measure then on the sidelines as well to see what your blood sugar was at? So what ended up happening was is that the trainers mm-hmm. would clean off my forearm and they would squeeze my forearm and 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 take a blood sample with the glucose meter. Okay. Or I got to the point where I knew my body so well, your body give off warning signals. 
yeah. of how you feel. Mm-hmm. Most people who feel really good, they completely ignore what their body's telling them when they got a headache, something's wrong. Yeah. When you're diabetic and you're really paying attention to it and you're on top of it, mm-hmm. you notice when your blood sugar starts to drop because either your speech starts to get slurred, mm-hmm. everything starts to slow down, you start to feel like you're hyperventilating, mm-hmm. or you start sweating real bad, and you start shaking. It's almost... I hate to say this, but it almost seems like you're kind of having like a seizure yeah. to a degree. Your hands start shaking real bad. Yeah. And for me, I could tell because my hands would start shaking really, really, really bad. And yeah. I could see it. And I'd be standing in the huddle and my hands would be shaking. Mm. And I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. Here it comes. Yeah. You know, but as an offensive lineman, I didn't have the ability to tap my helmet and substitute out of the game. We don't come out of the game like a skill position does. Yeah, you have to wait till the end of the so, drive, right? Yes, I had to wait till the end of the drive wow. to fix my blood sugar. Yeah. So I had to mentally, he's taught me more toughness than anything I've ever dealt with. Because mm. I had to mentally push myself through drives just to get through to be able to be okay. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then... So and then it was different. Wow. So uh, then once you got your diagnosis, you're, you're living with it, you're managing it in 2004, 2005, you, you had an amazing year. You played all 20 games in that legendary season. Um, and what was the journey like then on your way to that first Super Bowl championship? You know, um, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. Diagnosed in 2003 with um, type one and a half and 2004, I tore my ACL in training camp. Mm. So those two years, I felt, I mean, honestly, I felt like God was picking on me and I didn't understand why, what was going on. Yeah. Like I said in the beginning, he knows exactly what type of plan he has for you. And a lot of it is just trying to get your attention because it just he, he needs to. Just mm-hmm. to try to show you, you know, hey, right now you, your pants getting a little bit too big. Mm-hmm. So we need, we, need to, we need to slow some things down. And having to sit there and watch the guys go 15 and 1 in 2004 and thinking, okay, they're going to win the Super Bowl without me. That was, that was extremely hard. Mm. It, it really was. Yeah. So I pushed myself that entire, entire off season to come back and be ready to go mm. for the, that 05 season. Mm. And that journey through the Super Bowl, man, um, it's really hard to explain going seven and zero, and thinking, okay, man, this is it. This is it. And you lose like four straight Yeah. after yep. that. And everybody's like, what in the world is going on with this team? Like, they were killing everybody in the beginning. Yeah. And and finishing the season 9-7, and seven, mm-hmm. just barely getting in the playoffs. Yep. That run was amazing. Mm. And being a part of that with, with, with Jerome and, and that defense mm. and the guys we had, it, it really was. It's kind of hard to explain, but it was amazing. Mm. So was your – you've gotten to the point then, I, I suppose, then in the 2005 season playing 20 straight games where you were – starting to get used to at least the management aspect of your diabetes was it still an issue or was it were you just um with the experience more on top of it at this point i was i had a lot more experience at this point in time and um it is a definitely a one of those diseases that you have to be motivated to manage it yeah and i i felt like this was mine this was something that i was given I was at the point where I wasn't picking myself anymore and why me and, and why, you know, why I picked for this. Um, and the one thing, too, that I, I'm going to say this, um, I had the the greatest support system around me. The Roonies absolutely took care of me. Mm-hmm. Man, Rooney, you know, you had two kids. Had, they had two kids that had type 1 diabetes. Wow. They had John, Jonathan Hayes, who played tight end there, mm-hmm. dealt with diabetes. Mm-hmm. 
So they, I was, I was dropped into the perfect situation yeah. to be able to manage it. So if I did manage it correctly, that was on me and that was my fault. Mm-hmm. So every day, Mr. Rooney, oh man, Rooney would check on me. Yeah. And um, that that really made me feel well. And that's one of the things they they talk about family and, and taking care of each other. Yeah. To me, that was one of the prime examples because. Here's another story I can give you. Oh, nice. I remember laying on the train, and, and I hate getting off on a tangent, but no, this is something I want everybody to. We, we love it. I want everybody to know. Huh? I want everybody to know about Old Man Rooney. This is something that I really appreciate, and I know other guys probably got similar stories. Mm-hmm. When I first got diagnosed, I was laying in the training room on the training room table, and I was having one of my low blood sugar episodes. Yeah. And I was laying there shaking and sweating and honestly i was crying like a little baby because i'm like why is this happening to me yeah. why why do i have to deal with that yeah this and mr Luna came in he saw me and he and he sat down and talked to me and he said look this is what this is this is what i need you to do the i need you to take care of yourself and listen to what the doctors tell you i'll do whatever i can to help you out mm. but your life as a person from here on out, it's more important than what you do on that field out there. Mm. If you do everything they need you to do and do it correctly and pay attention, you will be able to help on the field and do what you need to do. Mm. But I'm more worried about you as a person. Yeah. With him expressing that, that almost like a fatherly type love yeah. and saying that I'm more concerned about your well-being than I am you as a player and as an employee, yeah. that meant a lot to me. Mm. And so when I when I was better, I, I was doing everything I could because I knew that I knew the head man had my back and he was going to help me yeah. one way or another. And so that meant a lot to me in that way, that organization that took care of me um, and the effort they put forward. So I thought that was big. Mm. And that is something that a lot of the league does not get to experience, which we as Steeler fans, we of course love our team. We don't get the day-to-day that you do when you're actually in there and, and interacting directly with the management and with the ownership, which is – set around the league just to be one of the, the greatest organizations to play for. And a lot of um, former players always note that even when they go to a different team, they always remember how well they were treated, at least at, as like family from that Steeler experience. So the grass is always yep, greener. isn't always the case, I suppose, when, when Steelers leave. And there's multiple times when, when we hear as fans that, that former Steeler fans just weren't as happy for leaving to another team and it wasn't might not have been worth it and they wish they would have stayed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's definitely true. Um, that's something that um, it was good for me. But managing my diabetes after that, um, it wasn't a, it wasn't an issue. Uh, it really wasn't. Good. The only time that I I felt like it was an issue for me, um, but that I got spoiled by Pittsburgh was helping me so much is when I left mm. and went to New England. Yeah. That was a rude awakening for me because I realized right then that it was all on me. Mm. I had to take care of myself, and that's where I started learning how to grow up. Yeah. After that. Because New England didn't have anything in place, at least for understanding having a player with diabetes, and, and you didn't have that same type of support structure, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they do what I said. Mm-hmm. Go to this endocrinologist, we could point you to somebody. Yeah. Um, and that was really kind of it. It was left up to me to kind of manage it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was a rude awakening. It really was, but it set me up to start doing what I need to do on my day-to-day basis now. So, mm. I got you on that. Um, now we're hitting the point of the podcast where we take questions from Steeler Nation. So we've got some uh, Steeler Nation members that know and watched you play and are really interested in asking you a few questions. If you'd like to take a couple questions 
Um, I'm just going to run sure. some off. Awesome. So Heinz 57 wants to know, uh, what's it like? What was it like blocking for the Hall of Famer, Jerome Bettis? <laughs> um, it was one of the greatest experiences of my athletic career. Mm. Um, sometimes you get caught up watching somebody as big and as nimble as Jerome was. Yeah. You have to tell yourself to keep blocking because you see him either run completely through somebody mm. or show gracefulness where he can make a guy miss. And you just get caught up watching him, and this is his enthusiasm. And you knew when he came in, he started blowing that horn, and he's like, bum, bum. I love that. Because oh, gotcha. to me, four minutes left to go in the game, mm-hmm. the other offense might have forget it. You ain't getting the ball back when Jerome was in there. I mean, it, it was over with. Mm. And that's what I loved about him, and a great guy overall, too. Mm. Oh, that's great. Um, do you have a favorite uh, block or saving the quarterback from a sack or opening up a huge running lane? What, what's what's some of your favorite memories, I guess, here blocking for the Steelers? Um, I tell you what, one, one, one of my favorite memories is actually being on part of that block and watching Jerome run over Brian Erlacher. Mm. Oh, I remember um, that one, the snow game in the snow. Yes, yeah. the snow game. I remember being in the locker room yeah. before the game, and Jerome told me, he, he told everybody, he's like, hey, y'all, I got my snowshoes on today. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, the bus the bus does not have any brakes, and if you're in my way, I'm running over you. <laughs> and he hit, me in the, he hit me in the back a couple times that game and looked at me and started laughing. I'm like, dude, I got the same color on you as you do. You know? oh, but man. um, and that, that was that, that was awesome. Yeah, and that was a really important game that year too, because that was coming off a three-game losing streak, um, mm-hmm. and that was before you started your four-game win streak just to make the playoffs to start your big epic legendary run that year. So I remembered watching yep. that game in a Steeler bar and just that game specifically taking down a Hall of Famer like Erlacher at the goal line, who's known for stopping people in the hole, and he was squared up. And that's the, he, yep, he that's got true. knocked on his butt, and and uh, Jerome just continued through him into the end zone. So uh, it's great that yep. that's that's such a memorable play for me too. And I, it's nice to see that we uh, we share that moment. You obviously all in the field making that play happen, and us just sitting there and cheering for you. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. The second one for me was um, uh-huh. second one for me was watching uh, Chris. Yeah, my, uh, Chris Fu yep, Fu Matumata. run that uh, ball in. Yeah, so yep. that was my rookie year oh. against Cleveland uh-huh. um, in the playoffs, first round of playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Fu was a great guy. Mm. Um, have, I've never been around two running backs that big in my life. <laughs> 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 and, 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 and being on the same team, I thought Fu was a linebacker when I first saw him. Yeah. And I'm like, this dude play running back? <laughs> Good God. <laughs> you know? And, and, and Danny Crowder being smaller than both of them. Wow. And so that was, just, that was just weird. Yeah, yeah. That was just weird to me, man. Oh, wow. So um, it was a blessing being on that team. I mean, I, mean, I could give you stories upon stories. Um, um, just the, the kickoff at the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 40, yeah. when Jeffrey kicked off and all the flash bulbs going off. Yeah. Um, that was just like being in a dream mm. um, and knowing that everybody in the world is watching you at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, little, little things like that. I mean, mm. I could give you a whole bunch of them. Oh, that's great. We, well, we love hearing it. We're Steeler Nation. We love you. <laughs> so that's great. Um, so you're talking about these big backs too, you know, like Foo and, and, and the bus. Um, what was it yeah. like 
than blocking for a shifty quicker back when you had um, yeah. uh, Willie Parker in the backfield? Because, I mean, he came on like thunder and lightning, it seems. Um, you know what? Blocking for Willie was different. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had to you had to stay after your, your guy a little bit longer uh-huh. um, because it was really, really pressing things outside yeah. and then and then cut it back and take off on you. It took about a good few games to get used to blocking for him, but she knew if you just gave him a crease, yeah. He would hit that on the blind, and I love that. I love that about him. Um, Willie was just different, um, and that, and that's one thing I, I liked about him. When he brought Jerome in, it was all downhill, yeah. and you knew that. All right, we're just gonna beat guys up, and Willie, we're gonna hit the edges, we're gonna do some screens, and we're gonna use his speed. And that was a nice change up to have him in there. Mm. Oh wow! And um, so this brings me up to another question that Steeler fan four forty eight asked then on his question he said we always hear about alan fanica's block on willie parker's record-setting 75-yard touchdown run in the super bowl uh however you had a, a really good block yourself opening up the hole what was your experience like for you at that time and how did, how does it feel watching replays of it today um it was absolutely amazing mm-hmm. it really was yes alan had alan had a great block that was count of 36 power yep Talked about that play, and we had ran it a couple times, mm-hmm. um, and we got a few few yards on it. But they was just in the perfect defense, and at that time, uh, me and me and Max had a double team on a three technique, yeah. and I set him up, and Max knocked him across and climbed to the linebacker, and Allen cleaned up, yeah. and Willie hit this line like the, like the partner of the Red Sea, and he was gone. It was insane. And, and then it was amazing. And after that play, it seemed like everybody relaxed. Yeah on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. And then that's what we started playing football then. Yeah. You know, and, and that was, that was to me, though, in my opinion, that was the key play that did. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because that was coming right out of the halftime, I believe. So it was still a tight mm-hmm. game. It was tough getting that ball in the end zone there at the end of the first half, a real, real squeaker call. And the, then coming out and yeah. opening it up like that, you're right. It was the perfect call at the perfect time. And it was just amazing to watch. And then once you guys did your jobs, uh, getting Willie past that that second layer, I mean, he did his own job to make sure that nobody was catching him in the secondary. It was just a beautiful yep. play all around and super memorable for all all Steeler fans. Um, yep. So um, Drink Iron City also wants to know. He's a, another one of our members. Um, throughout your entire football career, who would you say was the most influential person in regards to – um, you being a football player? As a football player? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I got I got about three or four guys. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Alan's like my big brother. Mm. Uh, I love, um, love watching that guy work. Yeah. Um, I, and it's one thing knew I knew I didn't even remotely have the talent that he had, mm-hmm. but I loved watching him play and how he went about playing the game and he passed along stuff to try to help out. Um, uh, I love the way Jeff quiet, Jeff Harden quietly went after his work. Yeah. Uh, Marvell Smith is like another one of my brothers, man, like my, one of my big brothers. Yeah. The way he worked constantly and the, and the things he went through physically mm. with his stingers and and all that kind of stuff and fighting through that yeah. was amazing um aaron smith taught me how to play the game oh wow um and, and and i feel like i owe a lot to him yeah i tell people aaron aaron used to whoop me two years and for about two years aaron smith wore me out in practice wow um because i came from college mm-hmm. not knowing how to 
play the game as a technician. Yeah. And, and at the end, I didn't know how to use my hands. I didn't know my, I didn't know how to hide my body language when I was when it was run or passed. Yeah. Different things like that that Aaron took he took advantage of, and he taught me how to not show those things. He's like, this is what other defensive linemen and, and guys are going to be looking at when they're watching you. Yeah. You can't do this. You yeah. have to do this and try this. Yeah. And then it became a point where me and him were hand fighting. Mm. I hadn't gotten, I started using some of the stuff he was using on me. Yeah. And it was fun. Yeah. It started because games started coming fun then. Oh, wow. And also with Aaron, another deal was too, he took care of me when I was diagnosed with diabetes because he had a family member also that mm-hmm. dealt with it. Yeah. So he understood. Mm-hmm. And and having another guy on the other side of the ball who went through it with a family member yeah. and telling you, hey, I know you don't feel good. Get out and go sit down and go take care of yourself. Yeah. Your peers are taking care of you and watching. That was big to me also. Oh, that's great. And then the, the, the last guy, the other guy who just got inducted to the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. I love the way Troy, Troy quietly played the game. Oh, nice. Um, that, that guy there... Um, his this overall approach mm-hmm. and 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 uh, just the person he was was, was huge. And um, Brett Kiesel also had a big influence on me as well. Kiesel is just an absolutely wonderful guy. Me and him had both had the same agent, mm-hmm. and watching him be a seventh round pick, yeah. guy that was on 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 special teams and that big and that athletic and can run down. And the only person that would beat him down was T.D. Awuma. Yeah. On kickoff. Yeah. That was crazy to me. <laughs> so I mean, it was. I mean, I could go through so many guys, but oh. those guys right there um, really stick out to me. Chris Hoke. Yeah. Chris Hoke got repeatedly threatened every day by John Mitchell of getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> and Hoke. I mean, he did. He did. But Hoke wow. was one of the most amazing players I ever played against because he played with good technique and his motor was wide open all the time. Mm. And 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 that's how he made it. Yeah. And he was just such a good he was just such a good dude. Yeah. Ball. Um and, and, and you know I got other guys too, Antoine Delay Larry Foote. Yeah. Guys like that. I mean, I was just I was to be a part of a, of a great organization and at that time some some great players. So you're right, and a lot of great names that that we all remember. Um, I've got a quick question yeah. for you too. I I know that you played right next to Jeff Hardings, and I know when he came to the team, he was a guard before in in Detroit. So, mm-hmm. how did the Steelers know that he was ready to play center because that was their need at the time? And um, I, I had no clue. That's a very good question. Because <laughs> yeah. to me, like I didn't see any of it in his in his background. But he, he came over. And not only did he play center, but he played at a high level. I mean, he really worked yeah. worked hard and, and and was perfect in his snaps and everything was clean and no balls on the ground. And it was just a, a pleasure to watch. You know, all of you guys playing across that interior line. Uh, during those Super Bowl runs, it was just really fun to watch. Yeah, coming in with Jeff, I had I had heard of him, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what type of player Jeff was. And I quickly found out that this guy is it's fast, he's strong, mm-hmm. he's tough, and he's extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you talking about? I, I mean, I keep going back and talking about being blessed to be with that with that group. Yeah, but Allen and Jeff were are two of the smartest linemen, players, overall football knowledge that I've ever been around. They knew the game so well, 
and then having Russ Grimm, my Hall of Fame coach, yeah. just sitting there listening to them talk about football mm. and, and, and being on the same page and understanding things and, and working stuff out so quickly on the sideline during games. Yeah. It was crazy. It really was. So, I mean, that's how that group was so good mm. at the time was, you know, because of guys like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're you're right, and it starts on the inside with any with any good offensive line. It starts from the inside out. So, um, yep, and that's why true. you guys are so strong, especially with that big running game, which was always in the tops of the league at the time. And it was, you know, it, it's and I really appreciate you sharing all these stories too, just letting Steeler Nation know exactly what it was like to be in there. I almost feel like I was in there with you for a bit. Obviously, I'm. It's uh, it was a mm-hmm. really fun to share that. So, uh, so now that you're a coach for Auburn and in your family, man, obviously. And um, so what do you do now do in your spare time to relax? Um, a lot of my spare time spent is, is, is probably in the car, chauffeuring my kids to some sporting <laughs> event. <laughs> travel ball. Uh, we, that, uh, <laughs> travel ball. Yeah, it, travel, travel ball, man. <laughs> travel ball, big time. My two oldest daughters are playing ECNL soccer. Oh, wow. Um, in, in Birmingham for the Alabama FC. And that's driving them two hours mm. one way. Wow. And um, they're going to Phoenix. Seattle, Denver, all those different places to play. And, um, you know, then my, uh, my youngest girl is, is trying to get into volleyball and, mm-hmm. and basketball. And my son is playing baseball and basketball. And so me and my wife learned that our hobbies don't even exist anymore mm, yes. at all, <laughs> you know. So they really uh, don't. Um, yeah. I mean, if I had my choice and had my own free time, I've really gotten into cycling. Oh, cool. I love road biking. Yeah. And um, I, I get involved in the Bow Bikes Family event mm. um, here. And um, I try to get out and ride 20, 30 miles at a time when I got good time to. So that's what I like to do right now. And I'm still involved heavily in um, the diabetes world. Yeah. Um, I was just, for about nine years after I retired, I was a speaker for uh, Nova Nordis. Yeah. Uh, patient ambassador speaker traveling all over the country doing that so i still try to stay involved as much as i can on that side as well and no, what is nova nordis no uh, sorry nova nordis for our Steeler fans um say it again i'm sorry what is nova nordis oh, oh nova nordis is a um a pharmaceutical company they're the leading diabetes company right now oh, nice. in the world nice. um they uh they got different products like Nova, uh, Nova Log and Nevermere and, and uh, a lot of things like that. I mean, it's, if you want to check them out, you can look them up on NovaNordis, uh, .us. Um, they they got a lot of good things. They they got a lot of programs, uh, cornerstones for care. That's been really great for helping people manage their diabetes, um, something I've been involved with. Um, and and it's, it's, they've really been good to me. They've actually taught me more about my life with diabetes than I knew when I was playing. Wow. So um, that's something that's been a blessing to me as well as having the opportunity to be a patient ambassador. But I'm also learning as I'm traveling and speaking because I'm around doctors all the time wow. and different type of research and things. So, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate here in the last few years. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, cool. So I, I was just looking up um, <clears throat> Nova Nordis just to make sure everybody knows um, where that is. And I'm going to share that information here as soon as my – <laughs> As okay. Well. So, how do you spell Nova Nordis? N O V O N O R D I S K. N O R D I S K. Got it. 
perfect. Mm -hmm. So then any Steeler fan, if you have diabetes, you're trying to manage your diabetes, um, you can go to N-O-V-O-N-O-R-D-I-S-K.com or N-O-V-O-N-O-R-D-I-S-K.us, and they've got all of their products and a lot of information here on diabetes. And thank you very much for sharing that, and I hope that helps out some Steeler fans as well. Um, so Steeler fans and, and Kendall, thank you very much for joining us on the call and, and, and taking an hour with us. And that's, it's, it's been a, a wealth of information. You're a really interesting guy and, and you had a lot to share and we, we appreciate every second of your time. So thank you very much for joining Steeler nation today. Hey, no problem, man. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, and giving me an opportunity. I, I follow you on, on Instagram and I love all the information and, and that you provide and I try to keep up with anything still related that's <laughs> nice. home to me as well. Nice. Oh, that's great. Cause obviously it's your, the team you root for, I, I assume now. Oh yes. Oh yeah. That's all the time. I'm going to always be black and gold. <laughs> that's great. That. <laughs> that's great. So Steeler fans, please, please reach out, start uh, following uh, Kendall on Instagram. His, his uh, handle is, K-E-N-D-A-L-L underscore S-I-M 73 or you can follow him on Twitter as well Big K 73 great guy lot to say obviously so please start following him and, and make sure that you're up in the know and knowing exactly what he's doing in his coaching world, his family life, and, and driving in the car for two, four hours a day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's great. So like I said, I, I know how much time you spend in a car. We appreciate the the time you, you spent with us too. So th thanks again, Kendall. We really appreciate it. Ain't no, ain't no problem. If you ever need me again or need anything, please reach out. I enjoy myself today. We, we definitely will. That's going to happen. Hey, Steeler fans, make sure to come on over to SteelerNation.com for some of the best football forum and Steeler news on the Internet. Uh, tweet us at SteelerNation or Instagram us at SteelerNation.com. That's all the time we have here on the SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Stony Brewing. I'm your host, G Striker, with Kendall Simmons, rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers!